welcome to episode 39 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. Writer-director Baz Luhrmann has only directed five feature films in 24 years, but nearly all of them have made an impact on moviegoers, mainly due to Luhrmann's opulent style and visual flair. Today we are discussing his third film, Moulin Rouge. We were inspired to rewatch it by the recent record-setting 16 Tony nominations for the musical Hamilton, another musical set in a historic time period that makes use of modern music. Both of us are pretty big fans of Moulin Rouge, but we've found that in the 15 years since its release, its reputation has faded into little more than a cliché Hollywood love story. So Ryan and I wanted to watch it again to see if there's more to this film than people recall. Although Moulin Rouge had an eventful opening at Cannes, In the USA, it was only a modest hit, earning just over $57 million. However, it was a much bigger hit abroad, earning $179 million worldwide. Critics were split at the time, but it was nominated for eight Oscars, including Best Picture and Best Actress for its star Nicole Kidman. It won two of those Oscars for its elaborate set decoration and costume design. The soundtrack also um, almost became more famous than the movie, with the single Lady Marmalade spending nine weeks at number one. But is there really freedom, beauty, truth, and love behind Lerman's eye-catching eccentricities? Or is there nothing but disappointment to be found behind Lerman's famous red curtain? Keep listening. I can't fall in love with anyone. Can't fall in love? But... A life without love, that's terrible. No, being on the street, that's terrible. No. Love is like oxygen. What? Love is a many splendid thing. What? Love lifts us up where we belong. All you need is love. Please, don't start that again. All what? you need is love. A girl has got to eat. All you need is love. She'll end up on the street. All you need uh- is love. Love is just a game. I was made for loving you, baby. You were made for loving me. So there we have uh, Ewan McGregor as Christian trying to um, explain to Satine, played by Nicole Kidman, why she should care about love, why she should fall in love, the importance of love. Oh, to be in love, Ryan. Right. That's what Christian says. Well, but I'm also saying it's... You're, All you're happy things. to be in love. Love's yeah, great. It yeah. is great. And that's something you definitely get mm-hmm. out of this movie that we're talking about. Absolutely. And that song that follows is great, too. Um, the Elephant Love Song Medley. We'll definitely talk about that more. And even though I, I, I mentioned in the intro, Lady Marmalade was the big single, I kind of feel like Elephant Love Medley was actually a more enduring song from that movie. Would you agree? I actually don't know what what's it called the Elephant Love, Love Medley. Med, okay, yeah. You think that was the most popular? I don't song know. I don't think out it was Moulin the Rouge? most popular. I think that people who like Moulin Rouge would point to that song. It certainly had a lot of the pop references in it, and was right. really interesting how it moved the story along. I, I, know, I don't remember I hearing it on the radio or anything like that. Oh, it probably yeah. wasn't on the radio. Oh, you mean okay? So just people who like the movie. Just people this who like the movie. This is the <laughs> okay. song that they remember. Come what, come what may, the original song is yeah. great too. But I know when I was watching this and the elephant love song medley scene started, my wife came into the room. They just wanted to see whoever was, was around was, right. had to see it. Yeah, yeah. So Lady Marmalade, though, can you tell me who sang it? Who was in that? Well. Or did you Obviously, look it up? Christina, Christina Aguilera. Aguilera, yeah. Um, who else? I know, I forgot too. 
but I looked it up. <laughs> I wanted to say Missy Elliott, but that's not Missy true. Elliott is really yeah. She produced it and she did the intro and the outro. Okay, so there were like four women singers who were the big ones. But was Missy Maya Elliott, one of them? Maya was one of I'm them. I'm doing great. You're here. doing amazing. Okay, so what am I missing? Um, is there's it, one that I feel like is also obvious. Uh, before Lady Gaga, before mm-hmm. like Pink, before nope. was it Pink? Yeah, it's Pink. Uh huh. Nice. How about that? You you thought it was before pink. It was pink. But it you're was right. Pink. And yeah, then okay. who's the other one? Well, wasn't there? I thought there was more than four. Okay, so there were four women who who <laughs> sang right. it, and Missy Elliott produced it and did like a spoken and rappy intro and an outro. And so it was Christina Aguilera, Maya, Pink, and one other female artist. I don't think you would expect her. Um, this one I'm at a loss for. Lil Kim. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I know. I would have only come up with Christina Aguilera. You know what's kind of crazy is all those people could do a song again today, 15 years later, and it would still probably be a huge hit. You think so? You don't think, you think they're all irrelevant? Maya, Lil' Kim? Yeah, I guess you're right, but Pink is still doing stuff. Yeah, Pink and and Christina Aguilera. And Missy Elliott did the whole... She's uh, got like a resurrection. Right, she came back. Yeah, she would actually probably do better than Pink and Christina Aguilera now, but... It's also kind of one of those weird instances of that sort of that period in movies where you would have a song written for a movie and that song when it's not tied to the movie doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You think Lady Marmalade doesn't make sense outside of the movie? I mean, I think most people who know it know it as being a song from Moulin Rouge. I'd have yeah. to ask someone who like it's styling and everything, the whole packaging yeah, for it. Was it all definitely feels like more, it's part yeah. of a package. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't see the source material, I don't know that you would really. You'd probably understand the song, but I don't think you'd really get why it was such a. You huge may be, hit, you, you may know? be, you may confused. be giving too much credit to the people who put songs at number one on pop charts. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but before we go in completely into Moulin Rouge, uh-huh. I do just want to do some 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 podcast cleanup here and say welcome back, yeah, Ryan. Take a break and talk about our break. Yeah, right. thank we, you, thank we you. We had yeah. a nice long break. It's been mm-hmm. gosh, it's been at least six weeks since we recorded. I know that. That's probably true. Yeah, boy, and, oh boy. Uh, yeah, it feels good to be back. It does. Yeah, it feels, you know, a... I'm a little rusty getting back on the mic, uh-huh. but <laughs> I know. Yeah, my voice is creaky. Um, but yeah, I've got a three week old son. Congratulations! Now. Thank you. He's, He's a cutie a... too. Thank you. I-, I think so. He's in the other room. Um, we asked if he wanted sleeping. to be on, and and you know. He's only seen Mulan. Ha- He's half seen Mulan. Rouge. Right. He was in and out. Sleeping. He just didn't feel comfortable talking about no. something he really didn't know that much about. He's got and great thoughts on it, though. I, I just hope, hopefully soon he'll kind of get his confidence up. Yeah, but. it takes time. Yep. We'll get him on here. So, yeah. well, but no, it's anyways, good to be back. it is good to be, good good to to be back. A, good to have a kid. <laughs> Even though it's kind of weird. It feels weird. Yeah. <laughs> now you've got that whole, and I, I, I found that after I had our boys, my perspective on movies changed a lot. Like I watched mm. them a little differently. Did that happen yeah, to you I'm at sure, all? Or? I'm sure, yeah relationships in movies are, are hitting me differently yeah i feel and like so what i want to watch is different like oh I would, yeah i would be at the library and like oh this movie i'd wanted to see is in or whatever and i'd be thinking oh i'm not ready for something this intense right now or whatever <laughs> yeah like, yeah it's yeah yeah i i, I found that i was just watching everything as a father i remember mm-hmm. watching i know we're getting off track here but i just remember watching finding nemo and it just destroyed <laughs> me after being a dad Anyways, back to Moulin Rouge. Yeah. We thought it was a good time to talk about it because, you know, um, Hamilton is like all the rage oh my right gosh. now. And, and I, actually, I mean, it is, 
I don't know if I've seen anything like it. I mean, I haven't seen Hamilton, seen anything like the phenomenon. And the thing I see over and over again is everyone saying, believe the hype. It's actually worth the hype. And mm-hmm. I, I will add to that chorus. I mean, yeah, I, been I the remember somebody now. told me the idea behind it. And I was like, that sounds like a really terrible idea. Just like someone told me what Moulin Rouge was about. And I also said at the time, that sounds like a really <laughs> bad idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I also noticed uh, after we decided to do this and I was looking back and I, I, I think it takes about 15 or so years for the musical to kind of have a huge thing that brings not just like the theater crowds in, but like everybody yeah. in. Mm-hmm. And then we all kind of get tired of musicals for a while and then yep. something else happens. So I was looking back. So Hamilton's 2015. Moulin Rouge is about 15 years ago. Yeah. And that really was... I know Moulin it was just Rouge a, and Chicago. Yeah, yes. And those were movies, obviously. But uh, like Chicago was based on a musical, but Moulin Rouge really was just an, origi- an original yeah. movie. But it sort of brought musicals as a genre, I think, back, back into the mainstream. Mm-hmm. 15 years before that, 1986 was Phantom of the Opera, mm. which I think is another one that sort of... Andrew Lloyd Webber, that kind of is sort of what he did for yeah. musicals and brought it into a more mainstream audience uh-huh. 15 years before that 1971 is when greece came out really yeah so i'm just kind of looking at i'm like i think 15, every, I think 15 years you know we're gonna see hamilton is gonna bring back musicals in a big way i think so in about 10 years we're gonna be kind of tired mm-hmm. and think musicals are dead everyone's gonna declare the musical is a dead yeah, genre yeah, yeah. and then something's gonna come out a couple years later that's gonna blow everyone away again yeah you know? I, you're, you're probably right can I can I um just having heard this and coming up with my own theory, um, can I say what I think probably killed the Moulin Rouge run of musicals? Yeah, let's hear it. M- Mamma Mia. Oh, gosh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good theory. <laughs> I have not had a worse time at a movie. I've never saw it. I saw the I saw the trailer alone and thought that it was pretty cringe worthy. Mm-hmm. But you I, were I know there are that. people who really like it, <laughs> and I have students who, last year, I mean, you know that we're getting off on tangents, but you know, I, I don't let my students say they hate something, I like about a movie, I make them say, I don't remember liking that, I'll need to, oh, maybe <laughs> I need to chance. see it again. Yeah. And I, I, a girl was like saying what movie she had watched, and this other girl said, oh, I hate it. And I was like, new rule, we can't say we hate movies, this is the thing. And then the girl who's like, well, right, fine. Well, I have a movie I watched. And I was like, what is it? She's like, Mamma Mia. <laughs> of all movies. <laughs> and I was like, I don't remember liking that movie. <laughs> it's so diplomatic of you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah I, I, I cannot stand that movie. Um, why don't we, you know, oh, yeah. do, our, do our thing. Let's okay. talk about maybe the uh, first, first time, time we saw Moulin Rouge. Uh, I don't remember specifically the first time I saw it. I do know I was in high school. I didn't see it in theater. I saw it when it came out on video. Mm-hmm. I know that the people who had seen it loved it. All my friends. I, I did plays and stuff, too, so that has something to say why I feel like everybody loved that movie. You were in your <laughs> the drama people, bubble. Yeah, yeah, the people around me really loved it. And... um I, I loved it like right away. I, I the beginning I was like, this is weird. This yeah. is very weird. But then the movie kind of hits its stride, and I, I just loved it. And we watched it. It would be kind of the movie we had on in the background. The soundtrack was huge for us. Like we listened to it a lot. And the elephant, uh, the elephant love medley. <laughs> and you know, it's perfect for when you're like warming up before a show or mm. whatever. So. For me, the, my last two years of high school, it was a it just was comfort food. It was just yeah. like who who doesn't love it? But it was a different sort of appreciation. It was very much that musical, the, the theatrical appreciation for it. 
as I've rewatched it over the years, I've learned to appreciate more what Luhrmann was doing as a director and see his cinematic abilities coming through beyond just his ability to make a, a, a good musical. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you tied the movie really closely to your sort of high school experience because I tie it very closely to my college experience. I think mm. when you see Mulan, if you were of the age we were at when it came out, you know, yeah. you, uh, you were what, maybe 16, 16 17. 17, and I was like 19, 20. Mm-hmm. And I think that this movie for that age group, it's like hitting at the exact right time mm-hmm. um, because it is that very romantic, you know, it's yeah. everything that a the, the person highs of are that high age, and the lows yes, are low. It's everything that's going through your mind. And I remember not even barely hearing much about it, but when I was, this was my first semester at college and it was just like you said, it was just the movie that was on. In fact, I can't tell you when I've actually watched it from beginning to end, yeah. but I can just tell you that I saw pieces of it here and there that entire first semester of college. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, like you did, this is a very strange thing, and I'm not really a musical person. Musical as a genre. Movie musicals never really clicked for me. Mm-hmm. And that pop music thing just kind of did it for me. Mm-hmm. And that sort of really um, hyper feel that Lerman brought to it, and also just that overacting, the, mm-hmm. <laughs> this just really kind of zany yeah. feel to it. I remember... Th- really liking it but also kind of feeling like i didn't know if i could say i liked it like i was kind of like yeah i like this but i'm gonna kind of keep that to myself you know and the fact that i saw it in pieces here and there really didn't matter at all my girlfriend at the time wife now uh was a huge fan of the movie and it was one of the few that she actually owned and so i finally did sit down and actually just watch it with her and it was one that we would watch together periodically and over the years like you i've i've watched it several times Mm -hmm. over the years so I actually peeked at your letterbox just now, so I know what it is. Okay, but uh, what what do you what do you have it rated? Uh, yeah, on my letterbox, um, I had it at five stars. Yeah, I mean, I really, I, I'm sold on this movie. Really, I think I, I think I rated it when I hadn't watched it in a while. Okay. I got it at four stars, which feels low, but we'll talk about it. So I don't uh, on a rewatch. I don't know if you change it from five. Well, here I'll, I'll say. I'll say this. I'm going to keep it at five, but my five is very much informed by my initial watching. Like, I think, I've carried that with me. Yeah. That I initial think, feeling. Like, I, I will tell you right now that I think if I was watching it for the very first time this week, it, it would not be five no. stars, I don't think. Yeah. And this is maybe a silly thing to talk about, but I think for both of us, a five-star rating, it can't just be a great movie. A great movie probably four and a half stars for each of us. <laughs> right. A great movie that we have a real strong connection to or a real strong um, reaction to, yeah. we'll get that five. There's, that that, that, that five, half a star is like the heart, right. the emotional. I want my attachment. five stars to be where if you were to filter them and look at them, mm-hmm. you'd say, these are the movies that formed right. Nate yeah. Goss's opinion this, of movies. This, is who know? I, this, this kind <laughs> of is part of who I am. So you might have movies that by all intents and purposes, I mean, they are just mm-hmm. by definition classics that yep. deserve that five-star rating. But for me, they're like, like you said, four and a half because I recognize they're amazing. I even like them a lot on right. a very guttural level. But it doesn't tell you anything about me. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I think for that reason, I would probably bump mine up to a five too because you if I'm going to so? put it four and a half, there's that emotional part of it, that connection to it that would put me at five. Okay. Um, but who knows? Maybe our discussion of it is going to keep it at four. But I, I, another thing we talked about is that I think people have forgotten or ignored or didn't realize the technical, the, the, the mastery that went into making this mm-hmm. movie. That you feel everything about it, even if you feel it's too, too much, if you feel like it's 
speaking right to you, if you feel like it's crazy, if it's chaos, that's all meant to be. Baz Luhrmann is a really talented, detail-oriented, um, multifaceted director. Yeah. And that, I think, is why we felt like we wanted to do this. That partly, like, you've got Hamilton, which might need people to be apologists for the fact that it's a musical. No, but it's really good. It's, right. I know it's a musical. Um but it's really good. Or I know it's about history, but it's really good. Right. Or I know it's rap, but it's actually really, right. really good music. Um, I think that Moulin Rouge is that sort of movie that has a lot of hangups for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of want to dissect why this movie is just almost objectively good. Sure. <laughs> right? I mean, and, and, and also like Hamilton, it's good because of the creator behind it. Yes. Hamilton would not have worked without Lin-Manuel right. Miranda. There's no way. And this movie is Baz Luhrmann. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't have anybody else direct this movie no. or create this movie. It is, if there's any movie you're going to apply auteur theory to, it's Moulin Rouge. So you're saying, um, you said the word objectively good. Why don't we just kind of decon... <laughs> let's, let's unpack that a yeah, little bit. Yeah, let's dip our beaks. <laughs> I, I, feel, uh, I feel like that's a pretty over-the-top statement to make. I, what I, I think what I mean is that this movie, I think it's got a weird history in people's heads. Yeah. Because it it starts with Romeo and Juliet. You can't really have Moulin Rouge without Romeo and Juliet. And Romeo and Juliet, for all its technical proficiency, gets tied up in Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio yes. yeah. and the selling of that love story. Even though that movie's soundtrack is still one of the greatest. Oh, it's so good. Even though that movie's visuals are some of like the most enduring, like Leonardo DiCaprio with like the fish tank. That's not iconic because it's Leonardo DiCaprio. It's iconic because of what Luhrmann did with the lighting and with the, the costuming the and colors. All that stuff. The, yeah. But it gets conflated and mixed up with Rome, Leonardo DiCaprio's rise after Titanic and all these things and Claire Danes as these right. teen stars. And what, it gets kind of reduced to that fluff of that Tiger Beat magazine thing. And I think that the love story in Moulin Rouge gets tied up in that too, the music and all that stuff. And it kind of gets boiled down in people's memories to like something for teens. Well, but not unfairly so, because I do think Baz Luhrmann is totally exploiting that and actually intentionally exploiting that. But the the mindset is that that reduces it. Right. And it's lesser. And anything that's making you connect emotionally is not valid you know mm-hmm. because it's it's just uh you're but you know what i'm saying and I, I, yeah because you wouldn't want to take these movies and lump them in with like uh she's all that right or you know the movies that are very much uh right. studio driven mm-hmm. movies marketed completely to teenagers yeah and they're made to be disposable they're made to be movies mm-hmm. that are very of their time yeah. and they're not really meant to last right they're not meant to be watched 10 right. years later by a new generation right i think maybe what we're saying is that Baz Luhrmann was definitely tapping into that MTV idea. I mean, even the shooting of it is, Mm -hmm. you know, we can talk about how Moulin Rouge feels like a music video often. The mistake would be to think, therefore, it doesn't have any lasting value because MTV is seen as a disposable culture, you you know? And so, yeah, and I think that that is a huge mistake to make because Mm -hmm. Baz Luhrmann is using those tools, Mm -hmm. but he's creating something completely unique. Right. I remember him, some interview I saw, he said... They toyed with the idea of using original music, can-can music, like 1800s music. In, in Moulin Rouge. In Moulin Rouge. Yeah. But he's like, but that would not... It, that music and that dancing blew people away. 
Right. Like at that time, that was like, what is going on? So he knew he it had was to provocative do. He had to do a new and, yeah. thing to like blow your mind right now. So he just he did that. He used modern music and all that stuff. Same thing with Great Gatsby. He was trying to demonstrate how like jazz music was so in your face in its newness and its blackness yeah. and all that stuff. And so he changed it from jazz to hip hop as people are driving down the street and it's like, ah, okay. But it it's just a, didn't yeah. come off as well. Do you remember though, um I don't know if you remember this or not, but we were in the same film class in college and our professor played the uh Lady Marmalade uh can can scene from Moulin Rouge. Do you remember that at no. all? <laughs> he was definitely of an older generation. And he played it because it's it it was important to the story of film, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, a lot of people, including Mark Cousins in the story of film, will look at Baz Luhrmann and mm-hmm. Moulin Rouge as an example of postmodern filmmaking. Right. And he played that scene, and he's just like, "Yeah, this seems important, but it's just exhausting." To me. He just said he was tired and exhausted watching it. (laughs) I can understand that. I can too. And I think it also speaks, though, to how effective it is and how Baz Luhrmann really was able to tap into the difference visually between the younger generation and what had come before. Well, and here's my first note that I have is that Luhrmann is 100% able to make you feel what he wants you to feel. Hmm. If he wants you to feel overwhelmed, you're going to feel overwhelmed. If he wants you to feel caught up in it, you get caught up in it. If he wants you to feel like this is otherworldly debauchery that you've never been a part of and maybe wouldn't wouldn't want to be a part of, mm-hmm. he makes you feel that. If it's joy, if it's love, if it's anger, if it's... He just... He can use everything in a film. I was going to try to pick a few things, but he uses everything. He uses pacing. He uses lighting. He uses uh, editing. He uses performance, like all this stuff. And he'll pick and choose. And sometimes he uses all of it at once. And it still is making you feel what he wants you to feel. Mm-hmm. If you feel overwhelmed, yeah, that was the point. Because Christian feels overwhelmed. If you feel disoriented, it's because the characters feel yeah. disoriented. It's it's why he wants you to feel what you're feeling. Actually, now that you're saying that, it makes me maybe appreciate the movie even a little bit more. Because there, it's weird to me that I can have a five-star movie that still has cringeworthy elements in it mm-hmm. i don't know if you have any of those either where there's certain scenes you watch and you're just like oof, like what does this still work there's the scene where they're trying to sell the plot idea to the duke uh-huh and it's shot in just a super you know what it reminds me of is like if you're watching beekman's world back in the day yeah. <laughs> or like peewee's playhouse you know
it's that sort of i think it might even be like that fisheye lens i'm not or it's just, at times yeah it's like oh yeah it may have just been like wide angle but yeah everything's so in your face everything's very mm. in your face and then sometimes like weird zooms zooms in yeah and out and... well it's weird because it's like in your face but it's also at a distance when you're when you're from the duke's vantage point and you're watching them and they're kind of just like dancing around this chair and mm-hmm. and you're looking if you actually look at like nicole kidman and ewan mcgregor as mm-hmm. they're like doing this it's just awkward feeling but now i realize that's it is awkward it's an awkward yeah. part in the movie. They're awwardly trying to sell. Yeah. They are so uh, uncomfortable. They're, they don't they know what are, they're doing. They are they're uncomfortable. Like, is this working? Is this working? Is this working? <laughs> is he buying this? You know, and it's and not it's kind of really, but it is sort of because the Duke isn't fully sold. You right. Know? So like, I and actually, so I almost feel like is there that much intentionality to Bath Lerman where so. he's actually trying to make you as the viewer feel uncomfortable? Where you're saying, does this work in the movie? It's funny you say that because this was the first time that I sort of gave myself over to those scenes. Hmm. This time, for some reason, I was watching Nicole Kidman's face specifically because she was making such over-the-top faces. Yeah. And all that, what I thought this time wasn't like, oh, what's going on? This is too much. Was like, I'm really impressed with how committed Nicole Kidman they is had to, to be this committed. performance. Yes. Because she, I mean, you see her in Eyes Wide Shut. You see her later in the movie. You see her in like... Uh, the hours, all these things. Nicole Kidman is a serious actress, mm-hmm. but in this scene, she's being so goofy. <laughs> yes, it's but she's so committed, and Ewan McGregor's so committed. Jim Broadbent, every actor in that scene is so committed. But I was struck by Nicole Kidman because of how atypical it was for her, and I was like, "This is working. This this scene is working because they're going for it." And you can see that Satine's not used to doing this really, but Satine is used to selling. Yes. So for me, that scene didn't make me cringe this time. I feel like you can't go into this movie being cynical. No. Your terminology is correct. You have to give yourself up to it. Like, mm-hmm. you just have to go with it mm-hmm. um, and, and trust that, you know, it's going to be a, a movie experience. I mean, I, I don't know that I've had the same types of feelings to the degree watching any other movie than I do watching Moulin Rouge. Yeah. I mean, I you really do feel like you're watching something completely different mm-hmm. and it is uncomfortable sometimes like, yeah. you, because you're almost tapping into emotions, especially as men that we're just not that comfortable really yeah. going deep into like completely over the moon, romantic love, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and having to just kind of sit in that feeling for a very long time, actually, because that's kind of what the whole movie is capturing is that really, really, emotional romantic love the depth of that and not apologizing or trying to say that real love is anything deeper than that right you know what i mean like it's like that is true love infatuation is true love in this movie yep yeah 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 (laughs) it's it almost feels too simple for people who who would keep this movie at a distance is that it would feel like it oversimplifies that not having love feels bad and having love feels good right i can't write the show for the moulin rouge why not? I, I don't even know if I am a true bohemian revolutionary. Do you believe in beauty? Yes. Freedom? Yes, of course. Truth? Yes. Love? Love. Love. Above all things, I believe in love. Love is like oxygen. Love is a many splendid thing. Love lifts us up where we belong. All you need is love. Oh. See, you can't fool us. You're the voice of the children of the revolution. <laughs> we can't be I think the movie knows that that's a simplification. Like I, I think it's aware of that. Well, it has to be. They they drop a they drop one line in there that's completely aware of that. The Duke actually says when they're doing the rehearsal for the Bollywood Indian yeah. um, show that the spectacular yeah. spectacular they're putting on, 
His line is, once the sitar player satisfies his lust, he will leave her with nothing. Yep. So it's right there saying, we know what, like basically in this movie, mm-hmm. deeper love that goes beyond that is what the villain is using as his his case for why he should yeah. have her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I had a weird 30-somethings moment watching that because I was like, yeah, the Duke's right. <laughs> but then I thought, no, because you don't know that. Right. And the movie is just showing you the start yeah. of this relationship. And yes, the of course. You can grow from there. True, you don't know that that sitar player would just leave after he satisfies his lust. Right. You know, that's maybe what a cynical person would say, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think, too, that there's some structural things that underscore the truthfulness of the simplicity. The movie has stories within stories within stories. You've got Christian and Satine. You've got the um, sitar player and the courtesan. You've got... um, Well, you've got him writing the story. You've got him writing the story. You've got the Duke dictating the story. You've got Satine playing out that in addition to like being with Christian. She's playing out another fake love story Mm -hmm. to protect him. But they all tell the same story which is basically that you can fall in love fast, you can fall out of love fast, but ultimately love will last. <laughs> I did yes. not mean to make that into a poem, <laughs> but I did. And beautiful, Ryan. It's beautiful. I think that that does a couple things. It acknowledges those negative things. It says like, yes, you will feel bad in love and out of love. I think it was a line that he says. The last line is something like, there was a time in a place with people, but above all, there was love. Days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, and then one not so very special day, I went to my typewriter, I sat down, and I wrote our story, a story about a time, a story about a place, a story about the people. But above all things, a story about love. A love that will live forever. The end. As long as there is time, as long as there is places, as long as there are people, love will be there. It will be be up and it'll be down, but love's going to be there no matter what. And I feel like that's almost like a structural thing saying like, you think it's too simple. <laughs> this like Russian nesting doll of the story boils it all down to, it is that simple. We can complicate it all we want with death and threats and violence and, and music and, and, and power struggle, struggles mm-hmm. and, and but uh, it's it, yeah. all about love. That's all that's there. And I think, so I think the movie may feel simplistic, but it addresses that by saying it is that simple. Right. And I also think it, it was addressing it maybe even on a philosophical level because choosing right. the Moulin Rouge as your setting, but also choosing it in that time period of, you know, the the late nineteenth century mm-hmm. when the the sort of romantic thought was that, you know? Yeah. And and I think over the years, there has been this critique saying that that's too simplistic. Mm-hmm. That romantic idea of thinking about life is too simplistic. Yeah. And I think what you're getting with this movie is just a, well, maybe. Yeah. 
but there's really something to that. There actually is something very mm-hmm. at, at its kernel truthful about those ideas, those the the beauty, the freedom, the truth, and love. You yeah. Know? And uh, on top of that, he he uses again the structure and the format to underline that message. So you've got all these pop songs, and it's not just a gimmick. It's not just glee, which right. by the way, mashups, the acapella mashups, the pitch perfect, glee, the, yeah. all that stuff. That's going to start in Moulin Rouge. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. But it isn't just that hook. It's not just, I know that song. I'm I'm interested in this. It's it's using that by saying, look at all these musicians. Look at these songs that have made millions of dollars. Look at everything throughout our recent history. All they're saying is that love is all you need. Love or you get the other side of the pop songs that's just about materialism and sex. Yeah. Yep. And it's kind of saying it's one or the other <laughs> when you boil it down. Right. You're either going to have be a, have a have a sort of romantic bent at your heart, you right. know, that you're going to be just the one who believes in love, or you're going to become cynical and you're going to believe that everything has to be done to just get ahead in the world or you, you have to survive right. by playing a part mm-hmm. or really all that matters is finding someone who can provide for you those material things. Yeah. A kiss on the hand. And you know, sometimes those pop songs are exactly truthful to the original way that they were intended and sometimes he's twisting he does, the context. And it's, brilliant. You know? it's, it's it's what makes this movie such a cut above is that he isn't just referencing things that you know to get you interested. He's using it to really underline that message of love is the is the eternal. Love is the constant. But he also uses it in times to in different contexts. That line, it's a little bit funny this feeling inside. I think three different people say it and they see it three different ways. It mm-hmm. means three different things. The lines will come back, and in its um, return, it means something new, and it turns things on their heads, and people use those words against people, and that right. sort of thing. Um, but on top of that, he's not just using pop songs. There's several classical story references. I don't know if you picked up on this. I just had re- recently read about it, so it was in my head. But when Christian and Satine are on either side of the Duke, they're both kneeling, yeah. and the Duke is there, that reminded me of Eloise and Abelard, hmm. that like ancient story of the two lovers who are separated by the wall yeah. well, or you've got Orpheus in, all over this yeah, too Orpheus you know? is a huge thing in it that he's using these ancient myths and pop songs mm-hmm. to show you that if you think that love is this, all you need is too simple of a message or sugary or syrupy or just mm-hmm. you know or if you think it's it's something that's uh, oh we've grown past that yeah. you know that's something that the the romantics believed in but we no longer uh, subscribe to that right yeah. you've got thousands of years of history and thousands of music fans who tell me that Very it is not that <laughs> that's it is a really good not point not that yeah. simple and again it's it's just all testament to Lurman's ability to bring all that together I'll add an even uh, yet another layer to that and brings an international flavor to it by having it have a Bollywood feel to it. And that 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 the actual genre world film, this is world cinema. The genre itself reflects Bollywood often, not just in the very on the nose sense that they actually develop a Bollywood show in Mm -hmm. the movie, um, but the actual idea of having, you know, a love story that 
we would consider a musical, but I mean, really, it's more like a Bollywood format. You actually do have quite a bit of spoken dialogue in here, punctuated by music, right. sung by the stars. He's, so he's got these really complex things. He's got these references, but he also does the simple stuff really well. He uses color brilliantly, just in the idea that where, where there's happiness, it's bright colors and mm. lots of them. And where there's not, like at the Duke's house, everything's dark. Everything's right. blue. It's just that shorthand, but it's not heavy-handed. You well, and it makes sense within that it. world because so much of it is often in a stage. You know, so he's able to get away with using theatrical lighting. And theatrical makeup and yeah. costuming and all that stuff. I also feel like um, the way he uses... I didn't remember this from earlier my earlier viewings. It really hit me this time, but I kind of forgot that there was even a whole nod to the silent film era in this yes. movie you know with the opening and things like well, that yeah or, there's that because I, mean, I actually wrote he's like george george melier's heir well they even bring in the talking moon mm -hmm. later on right you know like it's actually sprinkled throughout the whole movie yeah. so i think that's brilliant because it's showing that in the movie mm -hmm. it's it's nodding to the fact that in that time period this was the technology yeah. that was really cutting edge at the time. It was film. I yep. mean, in the 1890s, this is when you were first getting moving people pictures. People couldn't believe what they were seeing. Right. People were overwhelmed. People were exhausted. <laughs> yes, people thought the train was actually coming at them. And, right. You know, and so to just drop that in, you mm -hmm. know, just drop in this feeling once in a while. Sometimes there's that feeling of like the faded film right. stock. And um, there's, there is that in like the visual references to yeah. it, but there's also, he took it to that place where you're like, you're amazed yeah. at what he's doing with film, which is not that often that you do that. So often you're like computers, but this one, it's like, you can't tell what's computer. You can't tell what's what. And it's a movie that continues to, Amaze me. So I guess for the sake of having a little bit of uh, friction in the podcast, because okay. <laughs> I know not everyone loves this movie. Yeah. There's actually a lot of people who don't like this movie. Yeah. I, I found an original sight and sound review that was a negative review. Okay. Uh, Joss Arroyo. And there's a lot in there. His summary of the movie was it's textbook postmodernism in the, at its worst. Mm. A relentless pastiche of pop cultural sounds and representations sutured into the service of a cliche. Mm. And I think... I could see the read that reading of it. Yeah. I was kind of wrestling with that idea. Like, is, mm -hmm. is that maybe why it's faded? Do people watch it now and just see it as a gimmick you mm -hmm. know like it's it's a it's a very basic love story and he just threw in pop music and thought that that was a very cool thing to do mm -hmm. and wow look at that it looks great but mm -hmm. give us something more it sounds like what we've been saying is that we can kind of agree with all of that right but you're kind of missing the point right. you're kind of missing that yeah. that's all i feel yes, bad it, for you if like, that's the way you see it because that's right. very cynical it's it's not giving yourself over to it. It's it's <laughs> right. it's identifying with the Duke. It's kind of like great you defined it. Right. Yeah, it is postmodern. It does have pop cultural sounds. There are clichés. There are clichés. For being such an unusual movie, there's a lot you've already seen mm -hmm. before. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to say to somebody who says that because I think it's just the flip of the flip side of what we're saying. Right. We're saying classic, simple, eternal. They say cliched. We say like <laughs> smart references and calling things back. And they say 
tired. We say exhausting and like exciting and chaotic, and they say postmodern, like right. it's a negative. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's fine if that's what you want to say. It, it kind of reminds me of, a, a, of one of my notes, because we haven't really even talked about the fact that this movie just gets me emotionally. Like mm. it gets me excited when I, during the exciting parts, I, I, I like really care about Christian and Satine. I wrote, because near the end of the movie, They've got this song, Come With Me, which, which was the only original song yeah. in the movie, written for Romeo and Juliet, but they didn't use it because it was written for Romeo and Juliet. It wasn't eligible to be nominated for an Oscar, which is the, the Oscars They're rules so regarding music Ugh. are so stupid. So um, Come With Me is the song that Satine and Christian have that says, like, remember, we love each other. No matter what's happening, mm-hmm. we love each other. And it's kind of their cue to each other, too. Right. And so Satine has tried to make Christian think she doesn't love him because the Duke has threatened to kill Christian if Satine is if he's seen with Satine again. So Christian thinks that she doesn't love him, and so he embarrasses her in front of an audience, calling her a whore, all these things, throwing money down, throwing at money her. down at her, right? And as he's walking away, she starts singing this song. And he comes in singing the chorus. Yeah. And he sings it in a way he's never sung it before. And I, I wrote the note, if you don't, I don't know what to do with you if you don't get choked up when Christian starts singing that. Yeah. Or at least get like, oh, do it, that's it, turn around. Yeah, and you know what's funny about that is as you're saying that, I was also thinking, if you haven't given yourself over to the movie by then, you're probably going to injure your eyeballs with the eye rolls that you're yeah. doing that. I mean, like, because mm-hmm. because it is coming from such a vulnerable place in that yeah. moment. You yeah. Know? Because there's the music has pretty mm-hmm. much gone. Yeah, it's just it's, her voice. It's very naked. Yeah, and both of them. And it's awkward because they're in a public place and they're, mm-hmm. at, a ver- they're at a distance. He's at the back of the theater. She's, at the, she's on the stage. Yeah. And everyone's kind of mm-hmm. watching, and and neither this... of them are really hitting their notes, <laughs> right? Like yeah. their voices are just there. And Satine's weakened because she's got tuberculosis, and she hits this note that's emotional. It's an emotional note. It's not a pitch perfect note. And he right. returns it with just singing the title of the song "Come What May" a few times in ways we've never heard before, but in ways that are just emotional. He's mm-hmm. singing with his emotions. It's, it's, I don't know. I'm, I may be overanalyzing it, but I feel like by having both of them sing the, this melody we've heard for such a long time, both of them singing it differently. It's sort of the movie saying that idea that love can be familiar. Love can be yeah. cliched. Love can get stuck in your head, but also love can just come out of you in a way that you've never said, expressed it before and that people have never heard it before, that there's just this very personal thing. There's, there's that reading. And there's also the reading since it's different that perhaps in that moment, their love has matured to yeah. a different level. Moved beyond it's that moved lust. beyond that. He lust. had that ability to lust, have his, have his lust and leave like the Duke said, and he almost did 
but then she called him back and yeah it's yeah. it's changing. and in that moment I like that too. In, in that moment I like that too in that moment he's realizing that she that is selfless love the fact that she had to make him believe that he mm-hmm. didn't love her just to save his life that mm-hmm. she really was putting his life before anything else you could definitely read that different melody there as both of them understanding that their love has just entered a new phase and again talking about a song the elephant love medley is super fun because you do know those songs yeah. and it's awesome to I love like, when they hit heroes to... that's my yes. favorite part okay that part's great i think my favorite part and i think it's a scene that has become iconic. You see it in montages all the time is when he hits the, I will always love you. Mm-hmm. And the fireworks come out of the, the heart. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love and that. And the camera spins and they're in the clouds. Like they're not even in the room anymore. So there's that, that it just works emotionally that you've got that moment that he goes into heroes yeah. and sings, we can be heroes. And the way he sings it and the music changing, you're like, this song hit a groove But also, and what makes it not just a gimmick, is that that song progresses their relationship perfectly. He is making his argument. Yeah, he's making a case to her. Why? Yeah. And she is actually buying it. Like, it's not like this weird, oh, and now she's fine with it. Like, it makes sense logically as he explains it to her, as she rebuts him, as he refutes her rebuttals and all those things. And I could be wrong on this, but... Is everything he's saying a pop reference and, and all of her rebuttals something original? Because I don't mm-hmm. ever catch yeah, 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 yeah. any... So right. I feel like there's something to that. Like I, There's I something agree. to the fact that he is always referencing something that's known, yeah. a known source, uh-huh. like a pop song yeah. or you know a line from some poem or whatever. Yeah. And everything she's saying as a rebuttal is just what's coming off it's the top a of her head. It's, it's a, a twisted it, variation. Yeah. So there is a line like, we could be heroes, we can't do that. Of course, that's not that's not a line. <laughs> and that's not even very song. lyrical sounding. Like it right. sounds flat, you right. know. And um, he may have some additional lyrics, but you're right. She is coming up with her own ideas, and those that's the only thing that refutes love is some inner voice. Uh-huh. But when you're tapping into something bigger, that's when you've got love. Yeah, I think that's. I, I hadn't really made a made a case for why she would be singing different lyrics other than it progresses the the story and the characters and but it's also it gives him a reason to keep changing songs we could be heroes and we can't do that we we can be heroes and that's a fact then she joins in the song like though nothing would keep us together that's when she kind of starts coming Mm -hmm. around but he needs to keep changing songs because she rebuts him he's like i was made for loving you baby you were made for loving me the only way of loving me, baby, is to pay a lovely fee. So he's like, all right, I got to try something new. Just one night. Can we yeah. just one? Like, and it's, it's, it gives a reason for the mashup on top of the fact that it's catchy and fun right. and all that. And I just wanted to, uh, one thing I noticed as I've watched this and it's gotten older and older is one thing that Baz Luhrmann does, I think it's very smart, is we know these as pop songs, but every pop song he chooses at the time it came out in 2001, I think the most up-to-date, newest song that's in there is the, is the Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah. Which had, at that time, already been 10 years old. Mm-hmm. So what I love that he did was he brought pop... And it's pop- so lecherous, too, when people are singing it. Yeah, it's, oh, it's a perfect fit. Mm-hmm. But what I think is really smart about what he does is he says, I'm going to put pop songs into here, but I'm only going to pick pop songs that have pretty much already entered into the American songbook. 
we're watching it 15 years later. And these are still songs that mm-hmm. hold up. They don't feel dated because right. they were the latest pop tracks of 2000, 2001. Right. And I think that, you know, we got to remember when Moulin Rouge came out, the musical really wasn't doing much as mm-hmm. a genre. Like mm-hmm. there really wasn't anything going on. So it's really smart to think as a way to resurrect it. If we think of mm-hmm. the American songbook, you know, the, those songs are mostly coming from musicals. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of what he's telling people is like, we still have an American songbook. Yeah. It's just not coming from musicals, but I can take those songs. They are just as universal. Yeah. And I can put them, I can kind of reverse engineer them back into the genre yeah. of yeah, a musical yeah. and kind of celebrate this American songbook. These are our songs now. Decades ago, it was the songs from, you know, the folk songs and the musicals, but these are our folk songs. These are our, exactly. these are the ones that we all know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's just always these things that have to happen that just kind of keep the musical alive. And yeah. I think that Baz Luhrmann doesn't get the credit he deserves for kind of doing that when it needed to happen in that early 2000s period. I agree. I agree. I think that's probably a good place to stop, giving Baz Luhrmann the credit of resurrecting the, the, the musical for, for the 21st century, really. I mean, when we've come like, full circle, because that's basically what Lin-Manuel Miranda's doing with Hamilton. Too, yeah. So. yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, we know that there are people who aren't going to agree with us. People who are going to be like that review you read that who you're, you're not going to give yourself over to this movie. And I, I, that's too bad. What a, that's, but if you do, this movie's got so much more than just mm-hmm. sing along and romance. Yeah. Um, and I also think if you're someone who maybe just saw it back in 2001 and really yeah, had give it another shot just to see what you think of it. I think it's really interesting to go back to right now. I, I agree. Um, so I, I don't know if we even need to say, are we best buds? I think we're, yeah, we basically you know hugged it out this entire episode. I'm bumping, so. I'm bumping it up to five nice. for sure. All right. Um, because I, I do, I do just really enjoy this movie yeah. on top of everything. Even if you like somehow, if somebody felt the need to say like, actually, technically it's not that good, blah, blah, blah. I mean, or like, it really right. wasn't the first to do this and it wasn't the right. first to do that. You know? Fine, man. I still <laughs> will just... never not sing along to the elephant love medley <laughs> to come yeah. what may. All that. Yeah. All right. All right. So uh, let's let's let our listeners know what's the next movie we're going to be discussing. Now that we're back in the swing of yeah, things. Yeah, we're we're in the groove. Yeah, we're going to keep it going. Um. Well, okay. So this movie is coming out as we record. This is coming out next week, May 18th. Mm-hmm. Um. It's called The Nice Guys, written and directed by Shane Black, who's done like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, wrote Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Did Iron Man three? Right. He. Uh. It's called The Nice Guys. It's set in the 1970s. And uh, it stars Russell Crowe, Ryan Gosling, and Kim Basinger. Okay, so this got me thinking. And it may be, uh, you know, a specious connection, but follow me, if you will. Um, Lay it out. The movie movie that it made me think of, just because of Russell Crowe and Kim Basinger, was L.A. Confidential. Mm -hmm. Okay? So that's going to be our next movie. I'll just get that out of the way. All right. L.A. Confidential is our next movie. We are, in 2016, as far away from the 70s, which is when the nice guys. Which is place. when the nice guys takes place. Forty years, as audiences nineteen ninety seven were from the setting of L.A. Confidential, which is the fifties. Mm-hmm. So, one that was kind of interesting because in the nineteen ninety seven, the fifties felt so far away, like yeah. that was another world. Right now, the seventies doesn't feel that far away, even though I wasn't alive in the seventies. So that's that was just interesting to, to me. I think to us a little bit more so to me. Um, <laughs> but what what that got us thinking about is this idea of nostalgia, like cultural nostalgia. Yeah. Why was the fifties attractive in the nineties? Why is the seventies attractive as a storytelling medium right. to us today? And we were talking off mic that in the nineties we remember. The '80s being like this stupid decade. What oh, it was tacky. Dumb, what a dumb, really tacky. tacky. The music was terrible. I yeah. remember in the '90s. I, I remember uh, saying to somebody, 
the 80s had no good music. Yes. Like I said that to him. Like the 80s <laughs> that was, was terrible music. was a common music. sentiment right. back then. In the 90s. In the 90s. And yeah. now, I mean, I realize now that I was taking a dump on Graceland and like the Beastie <laughs> Boys and like all this stuff. That there was some amazing music coming out of the 80s. But, but there not was only also... that, that 80 pop, 80s pop sound that was so grating is the sound of today. Right. We've embraced it wholly. Right. And it, it's, it's kind come of back become, to it. Yeah. You would never admit in the 90s that you even listened to a Peter Gabriel song. Right. You, know. you look at how Huey Lewis in the News was such a punchline in American Psycho. And then in the early 2000s, the 90s was the dumbest decade of oh, all time. grunge was the thing that you Can just you imagine that we cast wore all away. that flannel yeah. and all that stuff? <laughs> now, I work in a high school, kids are wearing flannel, their jeans are ripped, girls are wearing chokers. People like love it's, Pearl Jam. It's all yeah. back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all back. So we're, we're kind of going to look at this idea of what makes a decade attractive, what makes a time period attractive, um, through the lens of a movie that... Uh, it's kind of become a classic, L.A. Confidential. Yeah. So if you haven't seen it, please do. If you have seen it, let us know what you think about it. Let us know what you think about uh, Moulin Rouge or Baz Luhrmann or anything that we said. Yeah. Or did we you watch making... something over our break? Yeah, you whatever. Know, then... Yeah. What, what was what was good? Let us well, know. We don't know. We That's don't. We sure. don't know. Yeah. yeah, we would definitely love to hear from you. You know, we've got the the Facebook and the Twitter. Mm-hmm. We're on both of them, um, and you can just search our names, and we should come right up. Um, you can always comment on our website, canwestillbefriends.net. And on can... top of on top of all that, um, oh, were you going to give them the phone number? Well, or were you going to do the email? Sorry, I cut in. I go was ahead, just going to say we did. We're we're now on Google Play. Yeah, the the they've they've gotten into the podcast game. Yeah. you know, always always on the cutting edge. Um, and so we are there. Uh, if you if you are a Google Play user and you're like, I kind of am sick of importing this and downloading it from other things, we're on Google Play now. We're right so there. It's we, totally fine. We, we come and meet don't you worry. where you're yeah. at. That's yep. that's our motto. It, we don't it, have that yeah. on our website as a tagline, no. but it's really, can we still be friends? We meet you where you're at. Right. Yeah. If you can't find us, just sit tight. We will find you. We'll get to you. We will yeah. meet you where you're at. Our original motto was, you're in good hands with can we still be friends, but we ran into some legal trouble. This fit better anyways. Yeah, it didn't really make sense to say that you were in good hands with us. Not really. I just like the sound of it. I like Nate didn't like the sound of it. I like the sound of it. Also, we have a phone number that you can call. And Give us a call. Voicemail. Leave us a voicemail, 847-306-9532. Maybe there's a tune in Moulin Rouge that you'd like to mm-hmm. serenade us with. Yeah. I'll, I'll listen to it. I will, too. We will both listen to we it. We both get the email when you send a voicemail. So eight four seven three zero six nine five three two. And I don't think we dropped our email address yet, but we you could also email us and we do check that as well. Feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. Keep in contact with us. Yep. Tell your friends. Maybe give us a good rating somewhere. iTunes, iTunes is a place you can yeah, do that. Yeah, definitely. And um, we should just end this, huh? I guess so. All right. Well, we'll catch you next time, guys. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. Mm-hmm.